we'll go ahead and uh, begin. So uh, thank you all for joining us this evening and welcome to those who may be watching this uh, after the session concludes. Um, I'll be sharing something on the screen here, and this is available on the uh, San Mateo Buddhist Temple website. Uh, if you go onto the homepage, uh, there's an announcement for today's session. And, um, and then that will, uh, if you go into that session, uh, the, the announcement for this one is, yes, on the uh, San Mateo Buddhist Temple website, um, there is a post and I'll put the link to that here in the in the zoom chat uh, for everyone so that you can see that if you wish and then um, there's another uh, another document that I put up there I won't be talking uh, specifically about that document it's there as a reference uh, for everyone and that's the 52 bodhisattva stages which will be um, touching on in our conversation today. So that's in the Zoom chat if you want to check that out. Um, and then I will go ahead and share the document here on the screen. Okay. So there we are. So uh, can everyone, uh, everyone see okay? Visible. Okay, that's good. Okay, so uh, this uh, this first verse uh, here from the Shoshinge. This is what we'll be uh, talking about this evening. And so the Shoshinge, for those who are joining us uh, for the first time uh, this evening, this was what we uh, chanted uh, during the. Um, the chanting session that began at 6 p.m. And the Shoshinge was composed by Shinran Shonin, who we consider the founder of our Jodo Shinshu tradition. And it is part of a larger, larger text called the True Teaching Practice and Realization, or the Kyogyo Shinsho in Japanese. And uh, we'll be looking at some passages from that later. So the Kyogyo Shinsho is a massive, massive work. Um, in English translation, it's hundreds of pages long. Um, <clears throat> but the Kyogyo Shinsho itself is, um, is 120 lines uh, of, of text. And so it is a kind of, uh, how shall we say, uh, a crystallization of the essential elements of the Jodo Shinshu teaching. So it begins with uh, an, ex uh, an exploration, exploration or a discussion of the uh, passages from the larger sutra um, and the Pure Land Sutras, which describe kind of the essential meaning of our uh, Pure Land tradition, the words of the Buddha. And then um, we've been studying this for over a year now, going verse by verse through the Kyogyo Shinsho. And we are now into the section that is the commentators or the teachers uh, from India, China, and Japan who further clarified the teachings after uh, the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, passed into Parinirvana. So, uh, after the end of the Buddha's life in this year, which was around 500 BCE, about uh, 2,500 years ago, then the teaching continued to uh, flourish and spread 
from India, where the Buddha lived, then into China, then to Japan, and now here arriving uh, in the United States. And so this Kyogyo Shincho kind of traces that route from the words of the Buddha through the Indian masters, the Chinese masters, the masters of Japan. Um, and then ultimately it arrives at us because we continue to chant and study it. So the section, the sessions that sections we're studying uh, at the moment are uh, verses based on the teachings of an Indian Buddhist teacher named Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna is a, a monumental figure uh, in the Buddhist tradition, um, including, uh, you know, Tibetan Buddhism. Um, you know, virtually any, any Mahayana Buddhist tradition, um, Zen as well, uh, people will look very closely at the teachings of Nagarjuna. And he's very important in the Pure Land tradition as well. Um, last month, we talked about uh, his teachings on being and non-being, the, the, the teaching of the middle way, the ex uh, finding that middle way between the extremes of uh, affirmation and denial, of I'm right and you're wrong, um, that as a kind of ideal for, for Buddhist living and having an open mind and being open to one's experience. Today, uh, we'll be looking specifically at uh, Nagarjuna's teachings as they relate to the Pure Land uh, Buddhist tradition. And there are some uh, writings from a text that's attributed to Nagarjuna called the Commentary on the 10 Bodhisattva Stages that uh, serve as the basis for this. So um, I'll begin by reading these words uh, uh, from the Shoshinge. Proclaiming the unexcelled Mahayana teaching, he would attain the stage of joy and be born in the land of happiness. Nagarjuna clarifies the hardship on the overland path of difficult practice and leads us to entrust to the pleasure on the waterway of easy practice. So there's um, there are two sentences really when you render this into English, um, two ideas that are presented in this verse and they're closely connected with one another. Uh, the first being uh, this uh, idea that uh, Nagarjuna is uh, attains the stage of joy and uh, he would be born in the land of happiness. So there's this idea of the stage of joy, uh, which Nagarjuna clarifies for us. Um, and then also uh, this very important distinction of talks about hardship on the overland path of difficult practice, and then uh, the pleasure of the waterway of easy practice. And so this distinction between difficult practice and easy practice is very important for Jodo Shinshu. Uh, following the, um, the chanting session, we had a little time for open conversation and we were talking about how uh, some Buddhist traditions uh, really emphasize a kind of uh, a monastic practice, a practice of um, leaving this world, um, renouncing the world, uh, in many different ways, uh, in some cases, kind of a physical renunciation, uh, things such as observing a strict vegetarian diet or uh, only eating food that's been given uh, as, as, a, as a, a kind of an offering, a dana. 
Um, and so maybe just just a little footnote the you know the buddha himself was not a vegetarian um so the the real kind of buddhist monastic practice is to receive whatever is given and to eat it without uh any sort of preference or distinction um and so that's that's a kind of a renunciation of one's own personal preferences a material renunciation renunciation of family relationships and intimacy and um, those sort of things um, can be part of this path of a difficult practice to pursue enlightenment through one's own efforts, uh, following the lifestyle uh, of the Buddha himself, as we understand it to have been passed down in the teachings. So that's one kind of model of Buddhist living would be to leave home, go out, practice uh, at a monastic setting, or, you know, uh, even in a kind of wandering uh, ascetic sort of um, uh, style. Um, and then the other, other path is the, the waterway of easy practice. And this is, the easy practice is the path of entrusting, the path of uh, we use a, a, a Buddhist word, shinji, the entrusting heart. And so that's in contrast to um, the life of renunciation. Um, it is uh, the life of uh, seeking the Dharma within this everyday uh, life experience. But there's an aspect of, of renunciation in that. And, you know, Shinran uh, himself talks about uh, renouncing this, uh, this defiled world um, in a sense of uh, renouncing the, the values and the, uh, the value system of the world that ranks people according to good, bad, and skillful, and uh, unskillful, wise, and foolish to create distinctions and hierarchies among people is the way of this world. And in the Pure Land tradition, renunciation is, in a sense, the renunciation of that worldview and to think of oneself uh, as a foolish being, one who, along with all beings, is embraced by the compassion of the Buddha. And so the challenge is not uh, the uh, difficulty of the practices, but rather the, the challenge of uh, entrusting. And so leads us to entrust to the pleasure on the waterway of easy practice. And that's seen as the, the path to uh, awakening for people living in this, this age of decline. So um, <clears throat> that's, that's a very key distinction. And uh, as we go through uh, in coming months, we'll look at other Buddhist teachers and many of the subsequent teachers expand upon this distinction between uh, easy practice uh, and difficult practice, self-power, other power, um, the path of sages, the Pure Land Gate. Um, so there's this, um, this, this kind of, uh, as you say, way of thinking about these categories that begins with Nagarjuna. And so we'll talk about that this evening. Um, so we have some passages here from the commentary on the Bodhisattva stages. And I want to uh, read through these. Um, it's it, just to warn you, it's, it, can, it can be pretty, um, 
pretty profound. Um, and so we'll uh, we'll talk about, uh, I'll read through these, I'll share a few uh, kind of um, exp explanations of some of the terms and so forth. And then if there are questions, we can delve into these more deeply. Um, but these are the uh, passages from Nagarjuna's writings that serve as the basis for the words of Kyogyo Shinsho. So my approach to studying um, the Shoshinge is to uh, connect the verses in Shoshinge with the uh, textual basis from the, the sutras or from the commentaries. What did Shinran read that inspired him? To, uh, to include these words. And he quotes these passages himself in uh, the, the chapter on practice, which is where we find um, the, the, the Shoshinge as well. So the way that it works is you know, he writes this long, extensive, very detailed, very deep uh, text, hundreds of pages. And then within that text, he provides this, this chunk of verse uh, that we can chant and recite and reflect upon each day to really get the, the crystallized meaning of this, this long and very um, profound text. So uh, let's look at these passages from Nagarjuna. So the first one, uh, this is from the chapter on practice, and this is uh, talking about this stage of joy. The paths of foolish beings do not ultimately lead to nirvana, but ceaselessly come and go in birth and death. Hence, they are called paths of foolish beings. Supramundane path refers to the way by which one is able to go out from the three realms. Hence, it is called the supramundane path. It is the highest because it is excellent. Enter means to practice this way truly. With such a mind, one enters the first stage. It is called the stage of joy. So um, let me just unpack this, this paragraph a little bit. So in this section of the commentary, uh, Nagarjuna is talking about different paths to arrive at the state of, 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 a, of a bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is awake, an awakened being who is committed to guiding other beings to awakening. A bodhisattva makes a vow not to attain full liberation and enter into nirvana oneself until all other beings have been guided along that path. And so um, he's saying the paths of foolish beings are not, it's not going to get you there, right? That you're going to be stuck in the cycle of death and rebirth, death and rebirth. And so it's called the path of a foolish being. And so supramundane, supramundane means like going beyond the everyday world. And so the path that takes us beyond the everyday world is the path that breaks us out of the cycle of death and rebirth. This is the a kind of basic Buddhist idea that uh, our lives consist of countless deaths and rebirths, deaths and rebirths right up to this present moment. And so our goal as Buddhists is to break out of that cycle. And so this uh, commentary on the Bodhisattva stages uh, describes, you know, uh, kind of what are the ways out. And one way is a kind of um, like a, a stepladder path of going through these 52 stages one by one, gradually increasing 
uh, one's understanding, gradually uh, developing and cultivating one's own virtue. Um, the other way is the way of entrusting in Amida Buddha, which is what's called a sudden path to awakening. In that entrusting, we receive the virtue of the Buddha, and um, that in itself carries us across. So it's like being on a boat. Rather than walking there across land, uh, it's boarding a boat and being carried across. The boat is the boat of uh, Amida Buddha's uh, virtue, Amida Buddha's uh, directing of virtue for us. And so um, when one receives that entrusting, then uh, one enters this stage of joy. Okay, so then he says, why is the first stage called joy? Why is this the stage of joy? And the answer is, like the person of the first fruit who will ultimately reach nirvana, bodhisattvas who attain this stage always rejoice in their hearts. Within them, the seed of all Buddha thought, Buddha Tathagatas naturally increases and grows. Hence, such a person is called good and wise. And I'm going to, to read on to this next section here. Um, uh, although they must first, they must pass through a hundred thousand kotis of kalpas in attaining the supreme perfect enlightenment, the remaining suffering seems like two or three drops when compared with the suffering they have gone through in birth and death since the beginningless past. Uh, though, in fact, the suffering to be eliminated is like the water of the vast ocean. Therefore, this stage is called joy. Um, this is a really, really uh, profound uh, insight. And so when a person receives this entrusting heart, all of this accumulated karma from their past um, that would lead to future suffering. So all of the mistakes and harmful behaviors and foolish actions of the past that would continue to cause problems and suffering for us in life, all of that is dramatically reduced to the point that um, it just seems like two or three drops. And the amount that's been eliminated is like the water of the vast ocean. So it's talking about this uh, tremendous uh, transformative power of, uh, of the, the, the entrusting the Amida Buddha's virtue and Amida Buddha's uh, vow to liberate beings. And so because of this dramatic reduction in suffering, uh, this is called the stage of joy. So the joy received is the joy of uh, being liberated uh, from suffering. So, and there, there's more detail uh, in this, which we can explore further uh, if, if we wish. Um, but I think here um, I'll, I'll move into the next section, which is um, the section that's talking about the easy practice. So this stage of joy is this joyful state of being that is attained in which one is realizes that one's ultimate attainment of liberation from suffering is assured. So we still continue to be in this world and experience the suffering and difficulties of it, but those suffering, sufferings are made so much uh, lighter, so much more bearable by the sense that we've been liberated from so much more and that we will uh, ultimately 
realize the awakening of the Buddha. Um, so now let's look at this next section, which talks about uh, easy practice. Um, so this is again from the uh, 10 Bodhisattva stages. Uh, in the Buddhist teaching, there are countless gates. Just as there are difficult and easy among paths of this world, for journeying overland is full of hardship, while sailing on board a boat is pleasant, so it is with the paths of bodhisattvas. Some engage in rigorous practice and endeavor. Others quickly reach the stage of non-retrogression through the easy practice of entrusting as the means for attaining it. If a person desires to quickly attain the stage of non-retrogression, he or she with a reverent heart, uh, he, or, he or she should with a reverent heart say the name, holding steadfast to it. So this is the recitation of the Nembutsu, this Namuami Dabutsu practice. And the Nembutsu is uh, the practice, the expression of the heart of entrusting that is the easy, easy path to awakening. So um, you know, it's, uh, let's think a little bit, sort of uh, consider this, this metaphor of uh, traveling by, by boat um, as opposed to uh, traveling over land. Um, you know, here in the Bay Area, um, I think there's, isn't there a ferry that goes to Tiburon from San Francisco to Tiburon or something like that from maybe from like around, around the, the ferry wharf or something. So Tiburon is a, you know, it's a place in, uh, uh, across the San Francisco Bay from San Francisco in uh, Marin County. Um, and if one were to say, want to go there at, you know, 5 p.m. on uh, tonight, on a Wednesday night, um, you know, they would, that you could either uh, travel across land, drive your car, or you could get on the ferry and take the boat. So if you were to drive the car, you know, you would have to figure out the route. You would have to be at the steering wheel, constantly pushing the accelerator, pushing the brake, accelerator, brake, accelerator, brake. You would be stuck on traffic uh, going across the Golden Gate Bridge or going across the Bay Bridge and then the San Rafael Bridge. Um, and it would be a long and exhausting journey requiring your close attention, your effort, your, uh, your dedication, and it would be, you know, in many ways, your own, uh, your own ability, for example, to drive a car, or if you were going to walk or ride a bike, uh, it would require your own strength, clarity of mind, uh, and, um, you know, ability to know, know knowledge of the roads. Uh, if, however, you were to get on to the ferry at the ferry ferry wharf, ferry uh, ferry terminal rather, um, you would do so with with the understanding that this ferry is going to carry me. It's going to take me to Tiburon, and so uh, I don't worry about how I'm going to get there. I just board the ferry and then I enjoy the ride. I allow myself to be carried across. I don't try to go up into, you know, the, the captain's cockpit of the ferry and give commentary or grab the steering wheel or, you know, drive myself uh, across. I allow myself 
to be carried across the water. And so this is uh, the experience of traveling by boat as opposed to traveling over land. This is um, you know, from uh, the days of uh, ancient India, when, where Nagarjuna lived. He lived in South India by the ocean. Um, and he was familiar with this traveling by boat or traveling over land. This is a human experience, but it expresses the nature of this Buddhist practice to allow oneself to be carried by uh, the Buddha's compassion and to express that uh, sense of joy with the Nembutsu, with this recitation of the name, Nam Mandabutsu, Nam Mandabutsu, Nam Mandabutsu. Nam Mandabutsu means I take refuge in Amida Buddha and trust myself to the awakened one of immeasurable light and life. And so in saying that, we are affirming that we are on this path, but we're also hearing the voice of the Buddha calling to us and assuring us that we are being carried across uh, this difficult ocean of birth and death moment to moment. Um, so uh, let's, let me just read two of these uh, hymns of the Pure Land Masters. So Shinran Shonin, um, in addition to composing uh, the extensive, very scholarly text of the true teaching practice and realization, in which it contains this precious Dharma treasure of the Shoshinge, these distilled verses, uh, Shinran Shonin also expressed the teaching by uh, writing uh, Buddhist, we call them hymns, uh, Buddhist poems or Buddhist songs uh, that capture the uh, essence of the teaching and express them in the Japanese vernacular of his time. Okay, now these were written, um, you know, 800 years ago, so they're, they're not necessarily, you know, modern Japanese, but um, they are, you know, accessible. And even for those who have some knowledge of Japanese, the meaning still uh, comes across in these. Uh, and we're very fortunate today, we have uh, English translations of them as well. So um, I'll conclude this portion of the session by uh, reading these, uh, these uh, hymns of the Pure Land Masters composed by Shinran that further uh, express the meaning of this, this verse from the Kyogyo Shincho. Our teacher, Bodhisattva Nagarjuna, clarified the unexcelled Dharma of the great vehicle. Having attained the stage of joy, he wholeheartedly recommended the Nembutsu to all. Mahasattva Nagarjuna appeared in the world and distinguished the paths of difficult and easy practice. Thus, he leads us who are wandering in transmigration to board the ship of the universal vow. Namah Bhavits, Namah Bhavits, Namah Bhavits, Namah Bhavits.